You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. When we're talking about whether we're dealing with us individually and healing and ministry that's coming to us, or whether we're ministering this to someone else. The second, the second lesson, the second point tonight there at the top of the sheet that I just gave you was, there will be no healing, no restoration, no deliverance, no repentance, and no salvation without an encounter. Healing is not something that knowledge can do. Healing is not something that training can do. Healing is not something that another person's conversation with you can do. Healing, our initial salvation, restoration, whatever it happens to be, will only come because of an encounter. When we start looking across the landscape at why so many people are functioning from a place of brokenness, and we, and we marry that to the, to the reality that very few believers can articulate moments when they've actually had encounters with God, we realize why so many people are stuck for so many years in their brokenness because it takes an encounter, a real engaging of God through the Holy Spirit for healing to come. Because if, if it's not Him, upon whose resources do we have to depend? Ours are the resources of someone else. The encounter says that there's now a capability brought into the story beyond what my information, my intelligence, my considerations could take us to. Remember, just go back to this simple illustration over and over and over. Two balloons out of the same package. I fill one up with air from my lungs and I tie a knot in it and I hold it out with great predictability, it's going to the floor. If I take the other balloon exactly alike and I fill it full of helium, and I tie it in a knot, and I hold it out with great predictability, it's going to the ceiling. What's the point? Our capability is determined by what's in us. Our capability dynamically changes when the Holy Spirit enters. Without the Holy Spirit, we're left to what these hands can do, this mind can think, what this heart can feel. But when the Spirit indwells us, the capability of an engaging moment dynamically changes. There will be no healing. There will be no restoration without an encounter. So what we're going to see tonight in, this, in the shack is this initial encounter. And I'm, I'm, there, way, there may be way too much here for the, for the time that we have if so, we'll, we'll stop this in the middle and we'll pick it up next week because I, I don't have this on a schedule. But I, I want us to, to make sure that we get the point. So where we're going to start tonight is, is right after the scene we ended with last week with him at church. And, and now he's, he's going to be in the neighbor's garage. You'll look at letter A under, under bullet number two. Again, approaching this in terms of how we're ministered to and how we minister to others. I wrote here, there will be no help 
until someone gets beyond the answer that Matt gives when he asks if he needs help with the snow. His answer was, I'm okay. We must, in ministry, in helping someone, approaching this, we must wait and we cannot press when that is someone's answer. It will do no good. As a matter of fact, it, uh, as, as, we, as much as we can see that they are not okay, telling them so will sound like judgment until their ears are prepared to hear. If we could force somebody to step into healing, the world would be a different place. But the Holy Spirit, and only the Holy Spirit, knows how to bring someone to that place. To bring someone to the place where there's this recognition that I am tired of what I've been tolerating. Tired of the brokenness, tired of the weariness, tired of the frustration, tired of the depression, tired of the anxiety. When someone gets to that point, then they're very, they're, we open a door, we see a little bit of a crack in the door where maybe the answer is something different than, no, I'm okay. It's going to be, as we see here in this very simple scene, it's going to be very difficult for the neighbor to help. Even offering to, to, to serve him dinner, it's going to be very difficult to help when that is the answer, no, I'm okay. So he leaves, he leaves the garage And we'll find him next at the mailbox. Okay. So the scene at the mailbox. Notice what I, what I put here. The encounter. Remember, we're under this bullet. No healing without encounter. Though the encounter with Max healing started many years earlier, I can assure you that God has been actively trying wanting to bring Mackenzie to this place of healing. We get to watch now that this is the first final, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the first direct encounter. This is the moment when Mackenzie begins, the question begins to form because the, the encounter has started. The note in the mailbox that begins the trip to the shack is actually the invitation God offers for healing. This is where it began. It may come simply when someone says that you ought to talk to someone or when you ask them if they would like to talk about what's hurting or disturbing them. God will, will form in some way the invitation. It may come because the hurt inside cannot be managed anymore and a way out is becoming more pressing. The simple point of this scene is that God must begin the encounter. It cannot be orchestrated by us. The neighbor, if he could have helped, would have helped. The neighbor would have listened. The neighbor would have been there. The neighbor would have tried. But the reality is, as we begin this point, is that it requires the encounter. What does McKenzie, what's happening in him right now? He looks down. What's missing? There are no footprints around that mailbox. He's just come across that street. He just passed that mailbox. When he came by it, it was closed. As he goes back, it was open. 
we don't fully quite understand because we're not watching for it how God orchestrates this moment of encounter. It may seem simple and it may seem innocuous. It may seem relatively unimportant. But God will always initiate the supernatural encounter. Any comments or questions before, before we move on? Okay. This is going to take just a minute to get to this place because I'm not going to show any of the story of the death of, of the daughter. This is about the healing portion of this, not simply because we, we know that his, that his daughter is kidnapped and, and murdered. It says, as Mac approaches and first sees the shack again after this passing of time, this is, this is the point. Consistent, true, each time. The invitation from God's heart is to take us back to the place where the great sadness occurred. In our opening scripture that we started with last week from Genesis chapter 32, why did God instruct Jacob to return to his home? Why did he instruct Jacob to go back and encounter Esau? What do you think? Why would, why would it be? And you've got some, a place to write notes at the top of the next page. Why would, why would you think that God would want to take us back to the place here, as it was described, back to the origin of the great sadness. Y'all have heard me teach many times now that when somebody comes into my office and I know that it's deliverance that they need, I start looking for three things. One, what was the event that broke their heart? The second was what was the false identity that came from that event? Third, what was the lie that Satan accompanied that accompanied the false identity. Why is it necessary? Why would God in that note say, I'll be at the shack this weekend? The invitation was to go back to that place. Again, we talk a great deal in the Christian world about don't look back. I preached on it two weeks ago about Lot's wife. Don't look back. Why is it necessary here for a moment to look back? What's this about? What's happening in that scene as he sees the shack for the first time going back to this point? What do you think? Why is it necessary? Back where, back where his pain started because we, we need to get to the root. If you don't get to the root, if you don't go back to the depth, to the origin of it, then it always has the possibility of regrowing. There is, this is an extraction. This is God's willingness to extract something from us. The healing always is. It's an exchange. He sees the brokenness and he has something to give us in place of it. He took our death and he gave us life. We, know, we understand the exchange. 
He took our effort and he gave us the Holy Spirit. It's an exchange, always an exchange, a father giving a gift. We hand him the brokenness. He takes it and in its place, he gives us healing. He gives us something that's whole. He gives us something that's healthy. But we have to go back to the place of brokenness. Mackenzie in this movie is in a very strange place as he enters right now, as he's coming back to this place of brokenness. I would always like to say that we don't need to go back. I do tell people that the beauty of what God does is that he, he lets us go back like a laser. Now, if, if I'm responsible for taking you back, I'm going to have to take a stick and flip over a rock. Oh, there's nothing under that one. I'll flip over another one. I'll flip over another and It's painful because we're just going through page after page and chapter after chapter of old and hurtful. But God sees with a, with a, with a laser at the particular moment that we have to go back to. If we'll let the Holy Spirit, he will take us back there quickly. He will take us back there promptly, and he does it without the pain that we would feel otherwise. He still has to get us back to that point. So we get, we get back now to this place of origin. We have to understand this from the beginning, though. We have to understand as much as we would like to skip these and just see God snap his fingers and make this hurt go away. This healing is a journey. We said that last week. It is a journey that, 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 that where God takes us. This is one of those scenes that I would encourage you to pay, to pay particular notice of, especially if you're trying to help someone. If you're watching as the neighbor was watching, you're watching this hurt and you don't know what to do. You're watching this hurt and, and what you say doesn't seem to help. You're watching and you want to help. But when the, when the Holy Spirit allows you to, and you find yourself in this moment, and I hope soon that many of you will find yourself in this moment ministering to someone else because you've experienced it for yourself. You know the difference that God can make. You know the healing that he can bring. You know the freedom that can be experienced. Notice what I, what I wrote here in, in, in the letter D under inside the shack. Expect the supernatural. If you are ministering to someone, you have to go into that recognizing that God is going to function in the supernatural and it cannot surprise you. You have to know he's going to do something, show something, reveal something, bring himself into the story in such a way that you're going to know that he's present. He will speak truth when there's no way that it could be known. He's going to show himself. He's going to connect himself with this ministry. We have to expect the supernatural. The Holy Spirit is fully engaged as we begin, as we begin a journey of healing and he's present if you are ministering this great healing to someone else, he's present for you. And if you're ministering, he's present in it. Our faith tells us that he is present and he will reward our faith. One of the greatest reasons why people back out of these hard conversations with people is not because they don't feel prepared, is that they don't feel that, that God is there with them. I don't care if I'm prepared or not. I don't care what I'm about to hear. I don't care if it's shocking. I don't care if it's startling. 
I don't care if it's angry. I don't care if it's abrupt because I'm not the one who's going to have to deal with that anger. I'm not going to have to deal with that hurt. If I have faith that in that moment the Holy Spirit's going to be present and working in this ministry, I know the supernatural is there by faith. I know he's present when I'm having the conversation and I've correctly let him in the moment. There is nothing at this point he can't handle. Now, if I start thinking I've got to handle it, I'm backing out. The reason I can stay engaged and sitting at my desk when somebody's, somebody's coming apart in that kind of anger. Someone screaming to the top of their lungs and clearing the church. Lorinda, we were there. She was a witness to this one, and, and the scream is so loud that you can't hardly stay in the room with it. The fighting and the turmoil inside this person is so extreme. We're holding her in the chair, and it lasts an hour. And we're starting into the second hour when her head drops and we, I, I don't know what Lorinda thought, I thought we'd killed her. I will tell you, if you don't know the Holy Spirit's present in the moment, you're wanting to run as well. It's terrifying. If he's not enough in those moments, you will run. You'll back out of these conversations. So for yourself and ministering to others, that second paragraph under there, do not be shocked if suicide enters the conversation at some point, whether it's spoken of directly or indirectly. Suicide is one of those things that backs us off. It's like, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to say here. We have to be ready because what, what was McKenzie's thought at one point here? He, he's saying, I'm sorry. He's saying it to his wife. He's saying it to his children. I'm sorry, but the thought had entered his head. We can't be surprised at that kind of anger. We, if, if somebody's just tearing a hole in the wind, I don't know what, this probably isn't something great to say, but when you, if you go into my office, I'm glad that it's a sanctified and protected place because the language it's heard in the last 11 years has been pretty serious, pretty tough. Because when somebody's hurt, the filters aren't good and the language comes out and the screams start and the cussing starts and the accusations start and the shaking the fist at God starts and you can't be alarmed by any of it. It's going to happen. You're dealing with somebody that is so extremely broken. This is an emergency room. Remember, God's going to send those who need an emergency room. They're not going to function like good people calm patients, they're going to come off the hinges and you have to be ready for it. And when, cause when they look back at you and your countenance hadn't changed, the look on your face, you're not upset, you're not alarmed. Then they know that there's something going on in the room bigger than you. They will realize that the capability is bigger than what we're capable of displaying. If I, if I'm reacting to them, adjusting to them, being frightened by them, alarmed by them, and they're in one of these moments, I will assure you that they're looking, their hope will begin to rise when they're looking back at you and, and nothing they did rattled you. I noted here also, it must be taken seriously when, when there's these conversations of suicide, but it is often the loudest cry for help that a person will release. As Mac lies on the floor of the shack, and the footsteps are heard that disrupt his considered plan, 
the deer is sent by God's design. I have been in many moments. I can remember one several years ago, many years ago now. But it's as vivid as it was if it were yesterday. We, we, were, we were having a garage sale, which might have been the source of my great turmoil. I don't, which is what garage sales can actually do. But just outside of the garage, I was building our deck and moving these big railroad ties in place and pouring concrete and all that it was taken to get the foundation of that the way I wanted it. And something inside me was in turmoil. I don't know if y'all have these moments or not. There was nothing going on. There was nothing to explain it, but I could not settle inside. And I'm sitting there on one of those logs and two doves land at my feet. Just sitting there. They didn't seem anxious. They didn't move quickly. And I sit there and I begin to watch them. Who did that? God did. That's not normal. I mean... Not even skittish. I, I got up, I moved, and they, they, were, they were like, they were sent to be this companion to bring peace in place of the turmoil. Again, when we begin to have an eye, when we watch for the hand of God, we will see these moments. We will see those desperate moments. Again, years ago when I, I went through a few weeks, few months of depression. Never want to go back there, but I but I look back and as a moment that now in history I wouldn't go back and change because when I came out of it, this young man from Odessa came into my office and I looked at him and I told him, I said, You've you've thought about killing yourself this morning. He said, How did you know that? I said, Because I've seen those eyes from the inside. And I knew then that this chapter of my life was about that moment. That God had done something supernatural so that I could answer this young man's question. That I could sit and talk to him about what was going on and tell him I understand those eyes. I understand that hurt. I know what your heart's feeling. I know what you're thinking. And because that was the moment that what God had done in me found its purpose in what God really wanted to do in someone else. We cannot be surprised at the unusual, supernatural moves of God because he will provide them. We will see something. Y'all, some of you might have been present. I'm sure you were. One of the last times that we had a, an Easter morning sunrise service, it was an unusual morning uh, Robert Dalton played Jesus. And I mean, we're talking still in the dark, 4, 4.30 in the morning on Easter, Easter Sunday morning out at the football field. Uh, and the scene would open with, with Robert coming, carrying one of the two crosses. And, and the spotlight was on him coming. In the, in the next scene, you see the guards throwing him down, and, and we, 
we, we, we raise this hammer and the lights go out. Well, right before that, I had sung the song, uh, Watch the Lamb. Old song I hadn't heard in a long time, but that is just a beautiful song. And as I was singing it, James Fort and his son and another little boy walked this little bitty lamb across the football field and, and into the dark as I'm singing this song, Watch the Lamb. The lights go out, the hammer goes up, and I have, had a block of wood there with a metal plate on it so that when you hit, hit the metal plate, it sounded like it was metal to metal. And the, with the first blow, that little lamb that had walked across the football field began to cry. And it was, there, there was just no way to hold it together when this little lamb started crying when this sound of this hammer is, uh, is started. Well, the, well, the, ne the next scene, there's one of the crosses is already standing, the big one, big enough for Robert to be on and, and hold, big enough to ho hold him. So when the spotlight comes back on, Robert's on the cross. And it's, it's just shocking to see. And just at that moment, when the light came back on, there was this beautiful shooting star that just went right straight across his head, just right above him. And you're realizing there is no way that this happened outside of God's moment when he, was, when, when he wanted to make himself present. We get to watch it here. We get to watch as God makes himself present in this moment. Let's look at this short scene here on this porch. As Mac tears up that note on the porch, I just, I just made the, the, he says, it's hard to hear, you led me here. And then he says something like, some papa you are, because that's the way the note was signed. We cannot be surprised we can't be shocked. We can't be dismayed by the evidence that the person sitting in front of us has, deeply, uh, has a deeply adjusted view of God, of God's love and of his goodness. Most of the time, the person who's sitting in front of us has lost trust in God. They're sitting there thinking, I've been down every road. I've, I've, I've asked numerous times for God to take this from me, and he hasn't done it. And so, so they, their concept of the Father has been deeply adjusted by that previous disappointment. You can't be shocked by it. You can't be discouraged by it. When they don't immediately begin to be fully engaged in the thought that maybe my life could be better, the person that is deeply hurt and has a veil over their eyes, cannot see truth, even when it is made evident. Again, do not be surprised or frustrated when they cannot see or receive the truth. Now, I, I want us to think about this for just a second. Conceptually hard. Almost impossibly hard to, to get this point across. When we allow Satan to, to, to bring this great hurt, when we've encountered one of these moments and Satan has whispered, Randy, it's because you're poor, or it's because you're weak, or it's because you're not enough, 
or whatever, whatever he whispers, then what he actually does, and as, as figuratively as I can describe it, is he slips this veil over your head. I wish I could think of what this material is called, but it's, it's a very, very thin kind of plastic, but it, but it kind of moves like paper. It, it, Jan, it's the stuff that when, when you were teaching and they would put a yellow sheet or a red sheet over paper so that they could, that it would help their reading. Yes. You know, they would put it, they would, they would read with a yellow sheet over the letters or a red sheet over the letters because it would let them make, it would let them see the letters more clearly. That kind of, that kind of material, yellow, red, whatever. And, and the veil's made out of it so that you can see everything around you going on. You can see the people. You can see their action. But, but once again, if, if I were to tell you that the answers to every problem you had, the hope that you needed, the clarity that you needed, the freedom that was being given to you, it was all written on a white piece of paper on my desk, and all you had to go do was to get it to go get this white piece of paper. Everything right here. Clear. But if your veil is yellow, because somewhere back there, Satan whispered, it's because you're yellow. Or he said, you're red or you're blue. Whatever, whatever false identity he gave you. And you go to my office looking for a white piece of paper. Are you in trouble? You're going to be able to find it? No, because everything is now tinted by the veil. For us to actually minister to someone where they can actually be receiving the truth that you're sharing with them, we can't grow anxious when they can't see it because the veil that, they, that is over their head, that they are poor, that they're weak, that they're not enough, whatever it happens to be, is how they're seeing the world. And everything in their world has been adjusted by that color. If, if you're sitting here right now and you have, and you have a, a, a blue veil behind you, in front of you, and it covers everything so that everything you see, you can, I can see everything in the room. If I were to ask you what color are the walls, you going to get it right? No. What color are the chairs? No. What color is someone's skin? No. What color is their shirt? No. What color is the carpet? No. Everything adjusted by the veil that we're wearing. For so many years to carry this veil of I am poor. Why would I go into a restaurant where they seated you and if they started taking me to a table that I didn't really want to go to, to pass some tables at the front and take, start taking me back, and I'm processing it through this veil, what am I going to hear inside? It's because what? Because you're, you're poor. Now, what was really happening was that they were moving people to, the, to make sure that we're distributed according to the servers. 
But the veil is making another announcement entirely. We cannot be surprised when they can't see accurately what we maybe can already see. Example, again, I just, uh, I just shared that with you. Let's go to the top of page six in the woods as Mac begins to follow Jesus. As healing comes or as we see healing coming, and sometimes ministering, we will see it before the other person does. As healing comes or as we see healing coming, which builds hope, it will come gently. I don't want to over-spiritualize something that's not here, but I can tell you after 11 very direct years in doing this, the healing of God comes gently. It doesn't come by force. It doesn't come with pressure. It doesn't come with intensity. You know, these are, these are such powerful graphic moments. But every step that Jesus takes in front of Mac is an invitation for Mac to take another one. Jesus will always lead us that way. He's not behind us prodding us. He's not behind us kicking us. But every step when we choose to go down this path, every step that Jesus takes is an invitation for us to take one behind him. I love that picture because that's what I watch week after week. Day after day in my office, I watch him walk someone down that path. When Jesus says, Mac, the supernatural becomes more evident. What's, what happens when, when Jesus says, calls him Mac? What happens in that moment? Do what? He's shocked by it. Like, how could this guy know? How could he know my name? How could he understand? How could he be calm? How could he be inviting? How could he be gentle? How could he know? Well, these are all realities of, of what of the Holy Spirit being present in this moment. I ask this question, what can we, we tell as this scene evolves? One, we know that God already knows what we can't yet see. That's a great relief. Somebody's story sitting in front of me is one that's a total mystery to me. But God already knows it. I like knowing that. that the, of the three people in the conversation, one person already knows it all. That's, that's, that's great to know. Because the mystery is less a mystery when I know somebody sitting at the table with us already knows the story. The second thing is we know that he's prepared, that he's preparing us to bring supernatural healing. This is real hard for us to accept about ourselves. It's very hard for us to believe that God would actually use my mouth, use my hands, use my heart to bring his supernatural healing to someone else. But if, he, if we don't believe that about ourselves, who in the world is going to minister healing, supernatural healing to someone who's broken? You remember he said, I'm going away. Why? Because he said, right now, I'm only one. I can only stand in one place. But if I go away and my spirit comes to indwell you, guess where I get to be? Everywhere you are. 
And my capability to make the balloon go to the ceiling is that's, that's supernatural compared to what your breath will do is I'm fully prepared to do the supernatural through you. Isn't that great? If we would just imagine ourselves, I, I spoke it this morning. How do we enter into the first rest of God when we accept Jesus as our Savior? He compares us to the children of Israel. They entered that first rest. When they went by the blood of the Lamb put on the doorpost, they left Egypt. They, were, they, they stepped into the first rest, just as the blood of Jesus, the Lamb, freed us to step into the first rest. But there's a second rest, according to Hebrews chapter 4, that we get to step into. It's the rest of obedience. It's the rest of an indwelling. It's the rest that says that, that, that he wants to do something. He, he allows us to, to stop our own working, our own effort, so that he can produce something through us. So we get to enter into this second rest because he's going to do something through us that we couldn't do. I didn't mention it this morning, but there's a third rest. The first is the rest of the Spirit where, our, where we're justified and we call that saved. The second rest is the salvation and the rest of our, of, our, of our soul, where he transforms and works through us. It's the, it's the rest of obedience. There's a third rest that we get to enter into that is physical. Someday, my physical body will step into a rest so that my physical struggles will be over. We step into a third one. But we get to right now, we get to enter into that second rest because it's not us doing the work. It's him through us doing what he wants to do according to his will, according to his good pleasure. Those are the words that we speak. We cannot be shocked that he chooses to do the supernatural through us because there will be no one else. I, I, I've shared this story with you before, but on a Sunday night like this, Years ago, I, teach this, I told them, I'm going to read the story of Lazarus. And I gave everybody a little piece of paper. And I said, as I read the story, I want you to write with whom you most associate. Who in the story do you connect with? So I read the story, just read through it once, had everybody write their answers down. Mr. Mahler was here. He collected all the, the papers, and I began to go through them. And there were a lot of Marthas, there were a lot of Marys, there were a few Lazaruses, but guess what? There was about 40 answers, and there was one answer that I did not get at all. No one saw themselves as, as Jesus. Isn't that amazing? No one saw themselves as Jesus. Who is Jesus physically in the world today? Us. We are the hands, we're, we're the feet, we're the mouth that can speak with, but it's the spirit that indwells us that does it just as it did him. But not a single person saw themselves as the person who could say to someone, come forth. Never saw ourselves as the one by whom the supernatural could be ministered. The last part of this in G, as the healing begins, the scenery will change. What is the evident change as Mac walks along the path? And again, please note, it is a path on what he's walking on. What changed? What was obvious? He went from what to what? He went to cold to warm. What else? He went from death to life. 
He went from despair to hope. It's even in the, in the it's, like, it's, it's looking like a question mark on his face, but he can't figure this out. He's looking back at the cold. He's looking back at, at, at the broken. He knows the shack is back there. And, and all of a sudden, they're in life. Sure. The light was coming through. It even stops and he looks up and there's a slight smile on his face as he sees these rays of light coming through. That will be present when you're ministering healing to someone. When you're bringing deliverance, they will begin to, to see that there's a, they're, a, they're on a path and there will be small rays of light that begin to pass through. And they, will, and, and they will begin to recognize maybe this time it's different. Maybe this time there are answers. Maybe this time there's real healing. Maybe there's really something supernatural at the end of this path. I wish that we could turn that graphic moment in each of our heads into reality in this, in this moment. Again, there's no arrogance in this statement, but I have seen that transition so many times in my office in the last 11 years. I've seen that moment when that, when that change occurs. I want, I'm just going to go from my notes because <clears throat> it will be much faster. At the bottom of that sixth page, inside the cabin, I said, please note here the warmth and the welcome of the Father. What is, is his heart toward you in this moment? What does the Father say? What, what does he want to convey in these opening moments of healing, in these open moments of deliverance? What does God's heart want to convey to you? What's said here? I'm sorry? How much he loves us. Acceptance. Acceptance. There, did you sense any judgment? Any harshness? Any push or, push or pressure? No, it will not be there. God will speak directly. He will speak truthfully. He will be honest. He knows whether it needs to come with with, uh, with direction and be more direct, he knows whether it needs to come with extreme patience, but he knows exactly in the moment how to engage you, how to begin to break down the barriers, how to begin to draw you in and entice you into the healing. Mac's first question inside the cabin is very telling about him and largely about us. His question was, do I know you? I asked a question at the end of last week. How ready was Mac for the great sadness? He wasn't ready. Why, was it, why wasn't he ready? Well, we find, we find an answer here. Do I know you? And Papa's response was not very well, but we'll work on that. When the father takes the weapon away, Again, I don't want to over-spiritualize, but again, 11 years of experience and even some beyond that has, get, has gave me clarity to something that happens here 
that I want to I want to make a point, and I don't want to overemphasize it, but when the father takes the weapon away, when he says, and I'll, and I'll take the gun, we can understand that God wants to disarm those who have been hurt from the things that continue to hurt them. I want that to make sense. What could that gun have done just based on what we saw in the movie just a few minutes earlier? It could have done further harm. God wants to take away from us those things that, will, that are, we're already hurting. He wants to take away those things that will continue to hurt us so that the healing doesn't just have to wait for the ultimate, ultimate moment of deliverance, but that the healing can begin from the beginning. We don't just watch Mac heal all at one time. We watch him heal in this progression. There was healing going on already. One of the leading things that I ask people to do when we start meeting is for them to stop speaking poorly of themselves. To stop agreeing with the enemy's opinion and his hateful perspective of them. Because it has become such a natural thing in many people to run themselves down. They're doing more harm, and I will, I will ask them. I think I told you this. There was a young man named Eric years ago that I was sitting with in a coffee shop in Lubbock, and he was saying something about himself, and I just stopped him. I said, would you please stop talking ugly about my friend? And it kind of took him aback because he knew he was talking about himself, and I said, I don't want you to talk about my friend that way anymore. You see... We're, we're continuing in that simple way. We're continuing to hurt ourselves to new degrees simply because we're speaking that which Satan is saying rather than what God would ever say about us. Papa acknowledges that, that these early moments in a conversation are confusing. He, says, he tells him, I know this is confusing, but what does Papa say that is true that we need to hear and instructions we need to follow? He says, we will do this on your terms and your time. I can't push someone. You can't push someone. I, I watch this happen. It's almost like this healing is on a schedule and there's a deadline to be met. And there's a push made to get somebody to the point where they'll pray and ask for this healing or ask for this restoration. I will assure you that if it doesn't come based on the time and the truth and the revelation of the Holy Spirit, there will be no push that will deliver genuine healing. I have no control over this timetable. Again, I have walked with people for years. Most of the time after they've been delivered, Johnny Hill gives me the freedom to speak about her testimony because she shares it openly. But I met with her, I think, for over six months before we ever found her false identity. Because we were looking for a black dot in a very, very dark gray background. There was a lot of hurt there. And to find the black dot, the moment where Satan had really done the destructive thing, took us months to get through so we could actually know that we finally understood where the false identity originated and what the false identity was. 
There's no great hurry, except God does not want you to hurt another day. The, the letter I, the greeting and the introduction is such a powerful scene because most have never met the Trinity. Isn't that odd? Most believers have never met the Trinity. They met the Father. They met the Son. But who is Mackenzie a little bit confused about in the scene? About the Holy Spirit. That shouldn't shock us because most believers have never been introduced. They have a question mark that exists where the Holy Spirit will stand. Never understanding what the Holy Spirit does. Never understanding what, who, who the Holy Spirit is. Never understanding fully what the Holy Spirit brings. And it shouldn't surprise us that the opening scene here, the greeting, is very much about an introduction with the, to the Trinity. Many meet the Holy Spirit, much as Mac did, with great surprise and great confusion. It's interesting in ministering healing to somebody that I have to introduce them to the Holy Spirit first. Some will know. Some will be open. Some will be resistant. But, but by the time we get very far, because when I say something to somebody and they say, they ask me, how did you know that? I didn't tell you that. How did you know that? I will ask them, who do you think told me? And it begins to come off their tongue. It had to be the Holy Spirit. The first evidence that they may be introducing, being introduced and meeting someone they've never met before. I'm very impressed by the focus of that scene. And it lets us graphically see the importance of knowing that the immediate introductions were focused on being and not doing. Notice the answer. All of them answered, I am. When he said, he's looking and saying, okay, which one of you is? And in a, in a chorus, they say, I am. We've teach this here, and, and it's something I hope you land on. There's no hierarchy in the Trinity. We say it, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which almost allows us to let the Holy Spirit be somewhat dismissive. But I could say Holy Spirit, Jesus, and the Father, and still have it in the correct order. Because it's not a hierarchy. It would be like saying that my spirit is more important than my soul, and my soul more important than my body. Because you take any one of those away, what happens? I'm in real trouble. You, you take the spirit away from, from someone, we would... And as I told you before, the German Bible calls a man who's not saved a man and them all. We function as an animal who has a body, a mind, and emotions, but doesn't have the spiritual connection with God. You take away the spirit and the soul, our ability to think and feel, what do we call that person who's only functioning physically? What do we call them? We call them a vegetable. Because a vegetable only has a body, the ability to reproduce. It can't think and feel. It doesn't have this spiritual connection with God. You remove those things from us, we're in real trouble. But we, ha we have to understand with, with the Trinity, again, there will be no healing without the encounter 
Who of the Trinity establishes the encounter? Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. But he said, I'm sending someone and that someone will engage you fully. So who brings us into the encounter? It's the Holy Spirit. Again, somebody doesn't know them. So when Mac hears, you have no idea how much I love you. What do you see on, on the look on Mac's face? He's startled by it. He can't make sense, as many can't. I've experienced this horrendous moment. And, and asking somewhere deep inside him, God, where were you? We know it because we get to see it in the cave. Why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you change it? Do you think there's a bit of confusion there when this God that he has disappointed in, frustrated in, who he thinks has broken his heart, is saying to him, you have no idea how much I love you. You see, the healing will begin almost immediately when God announces and someone hears it, I love you. Now, it will often be ours by the work of the Holy Spirit to resolve that confusion because most have significantly discounted the love of God because of the presence of the hurt that they have not ever been able to, to, to get rid of. When, 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 when the note is returned, once again, there will be no great change if there's not supernatural reality. Just as Mac asked Papa on the porch as a little boy, what am I supposed to do? Jesus' now res response was nothing. That must be our answer as well. If somebody in this, in this healing process says, okay, what am I supposed to do? My answer is consistent. Please do nothing. They want to get busy. They want to know what their part is. They want to know that they're doing what they're supposed to do. What's my role in this? Because I have to get them to the point where they know fully, absolutely, that everything that's about to be done is God's doing on your behalf. I can't have someone believing that the healing is up to something they have performed or something they have done. A profound answer when Jesus says, you're not supposed to do anything. Do what you would like. Go fishing. Go talk to Papa. Go help the Holy Spirit in the garden. It's okay. I don't, there's not an expectation of you. The healing's going to come if you stay on this path, not if you perform something as you go. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.